These are exactly the kinds of people, when they leave your partnership, they leave your organization, you've got to find a way of taking those knowledge and relationships and, I don't know, training machine learning algorithms with it. For fuck's sake. For fuck's sake. Well, who knows if we can believe what Mike Walsh says. A, a futurist? Uh, an optimist? A pessimist? Who knows? Who really knows? When it comes to work and the future of work, <clears throat> there's a lot... There's a lot being said. There are books being written. And mostly they focus on knowledge work. And so part one of the work topic for the FFS Talk podcast on this, the 10th of August, as I record this episode, 2021, part one uh, the future of knowledge work or the future of work that can be done <laughs> working from home, so to speak. <clears throat> so uh, welcome to another episode. Let us begin. I have actually, this will not be a book report, but I have just finished The Alliance by Reed Hoffman et al. The, there'll be a link in the show notes. The Alliance is about a, uh, well, the Alliance Framework it's about the Alliance Framework, which is a way to structure employee-employer relations, not as uh, free agents or members of a family, but of a team or an alliance that extends not only through the time together, so to speak, but after <clears throat> with a formalized alumni structure, which I found interesting. And uh, add to that the uh, a book I've spoken about and read uh, several weeks ago, uh, Holacracy, by the founder Brian Johnston. I believe I got that right. There'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. There, are, there are several books about Holacracy, so the the link to the Holacracy website with the book resources will point you towards some similar notions. Uh, so part one, uh, knowledge work, part two will be more, um, hands-on <laughs> the real work, the, um, the stuff that I suppose you could say, uh, for example, Andrew Yang, when he was running for the, uh, nomination for the democratic candidacy in the 2020 election, he is supposing that there will be a continuing drop in manufacturing and skilled labor jobs, I guess you could say. Um, that'll be an interesting, well, we'll save that for part two of this uh, work. What works and what doesn't? I don't know if that means the same thing in this case. We'll see. So part one, the knowledge worker. It's the kind of stuff that I do. Maybe it's the kind of stuff that you do. Uh, when you read books or you listen to speakers like Mike Walsh there or when you uh, perhaps explore the new post-pandemic era, <laughs> you may find some new creative uh, creativity when it comes to employer-employee relations. And and again, these are these are mostly these new the new ways of thinking are mostly aimed at office work, knowledge work. Um, can't really apply this to surgery. 
we've uh, we've all probably seen a few examples of Zoom calls gone awry in the legal profession, but you can conduct a lot of uh, law, I guess, courtroom hearings, trials. You can't. Uh, there's probably a component of human interaction that is missing for uh, truth sensing, I suppose. I don't know how that, that, that will take some deep diving. Maybe, maybe I'll find an attorney to talk to at some point who's done courtroom, actual trial law with juries. But uh, clearly surgery is an in-person affair until surgical robots are fully capable and available. Uh, and surely there are some uh, dentistry. I don't know if there's a dental robot. Uh, and the list goes on. But... Most of the time, in the two books I've mentioned, they're, they're really aiming at uh, the the knowledge or the desk worker, the cubicle, cube farm worker, software developer, maybe accounting, maybe program manager, maybe HR, I think, is a couple of, those are a couple of good examples. I have mentioned before that I, living here in Las Vegas and where the, the show is produced, even today, my interactions several years ago with the downtown project, which was a new smart city concept, I suppose, you know, not, not, well, not, not smart city. Uh, Las Vegas wants to be a smart city, uh, more of a city as a startup to use the, uh, Andrew, Andy white terminology city as a startup. So the entire downtown project, which encapsulated, I, I want to say 22 square blocks, I think was the, off the top of my head. <clears throat> uh, 22 square blocks or so of downtown Las Vegas became the downtown project. A lot of money flowing from the Vegas Tech Fund, from Tony Shea's other investment vehicles. Uh, from what I understand, he took money from the Amazon purchase of Zappos and <clears throat> turned it loose on this plan. And he was, he took, uh, he took his inspiration from several sort of uh, leading edge theories, deep thinking about flow, about uh, happiness. He wrote a whole book on delivering happiness, so you know, fulfillment of uh, needs and how that can be <clears throat> uh, made possible, I suppose, in a workplace. Right, happy workers, happy customers, profit. Maybe there's a missing third step there. That's a little bit cynical, but um, you could. Uh, I, I have read, and I did talk about in a previous episode, the Delivering Happiness book as well by Tony. Tony Shea, the late Tony Shea, unfortunately passed away in November two thousand twenty. So, holacracy was basically the. Uh, the foundation, and in fact, the downtown project and Zappos, while they were two separate entities, they were both transitioning into or using Holacracy to manage and run day-to-day -day operations. Uh, at one point, at least one of those was one of the largest commercial, like uh, real live implementations of Holacracy. So Tony and Brian and <clears throat> several other people involved with the Holacracy concept. Uh, Holacracy One, I think, is the name of the company. Uh, they were 
they were interacting quite a bit. Sort of a sort of a live demonstration of holacracy in action. And it wasn't necessarily popular, but the point that we will be getting at here is when you look at when you look at what it means to work in the future, and again, part one, we're looking at the knowledge worker. If you can do your job from uh, your your living room with a microphone or a, or a web camera and, or a laptop or any combination of those, this is probably what part one is about. So the notion in holacracy is, a, uh, and I'm going to be dramatically simplifying for the purposes of this uh, episode, so don't take this as the uh, definitive holacracy nor alliance rundown, uh, but I, I would recommend reading those books if you're curious for, a, for an authoritative rundown. So if you look at holacracy, it's essentially uh, giving agency to employees in a flattened uh, organizational structure. There is a very strong um, pre-defined, I, I think they call it a constitution, if I recall. So there's a an, a set of rules that govern the interaction of uh, could be individuals working on things or multiple individuals forming circles and circles work on tasks and they interact through a tension mechanism to achieve goals and there's an there's a protocol almost a Robert's rule style of protocol to escalate issues and to resolve conflict and whatnot water time so holacracy is mostly focused at employees working at a company so employees although i don't i don't believe it stipulates employment a w2 employee in american irs friendly legalese <laughs> A full-time employee, a part-time employee, but an actual employee of the company versus a freelance, free agent, 1099, independent, contractor, all that. Uh, <clears throat> I think you can be either, either an employee or, or external, and still interact in a holocratic infrastructure. But the, pres the, the supposition is that people will, <clears throat> if empowered to do so, will uh, derive a sense of accomplishment and the empowerment and participation and will end up with uh, a sense of happiness. Uh, that was Tony's goal. So you'll be happy, and if you're happy as an employee, the company will do better. Your colleagues will be s similarly empowered and will similarly achieve customers, the products, everything, uh, the tide will rise and so will all boats is the theory. And that's certainly not outlandish to imagine. However, in practice, maybe not so much. Then the Alliance, I just, uh, I literally read this book yesterday. Again, a link in the show notes, the Alliance framework, the book is called the Alliance. The Alliance framework is uh, does not attempt to flatten the uh, the managerial hierarchy 
you're not going to be sitting in a circle telling your CEO what to do. So it's probably a little bit easier to adapt to for the casual workplace. Uh, it supposes that, uh, and I actually agree with this part, it supposes that you should not be a family at work uh, unless you actually are a family. Family businesses are certainly allowed. But, and this this is something that troubled me uh, about Zappos. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to refer to Zappos and Downtown Project mostly because it was an experiment not only for the company of Zappos, but the community that was the downtown project. So just because it was in my backyard, I'm able to uh, comment, although I was not directly involved in, in, within. So these will be looking over the fence at my neighbor <laughs> uh, in my backyard. So the Alliance supposes that uh, there's still a hierarchy, that there's still a company, that someone will work for the company. And then the question is, uh, rather than trying to pretend that everybody is one big happy family and we're all going to behave like we, uh, they, they, they give a pretty good example of it. It's great to be uh, a company that acts like a family until you have to pull your, one of your kids aside and say, I'm sorry, uh, you're just not fitting in. We're going to have to let you go. So that was, that was sort of humorous. So it's not a family unless it really is a family, right? Family business, like I said, you can certainly, and th those are a whole different can of worms to open, which we will not do here. But when you, <clears throat> when you have an, um, more than a couple of people working in your organization, what they propose is that you formalize the fact that, you know, everybody's a, especially in California, at-will employees, you're, you may or may not be sticking around, you may want to climb the ladder, you may want to set your goals on, uh, on building your own company. So you, and this was very common when I was in Silicon Valley back in, <clears throat> back in the mid nineties, you know, you, uh, you join a company and then the thinking is, uh, especially in, um, 96 or so you join looking for the stock options, the ISOs, and you, uh, go public, you vest, you, 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 uh, spin off your own, you know, you, you've, you've been working with a few people that you got an idea. You don't like upper management. Yeah. We should start our own thing. We'll take the money that we made here and we'll go somewhere else. And then you had companies like Google, uh, that did their 20% project. And sometimes though, so that was kind of like an internal entrepreneurialism effort which is kind of a win because good ideas end up being good internal projects that can turn profitable. And if I'm remembering correctly, Gmail was one of those. So that's, that's still around for better or worse. <laughs> so the notion is you determine whether you are, they call it a tour of duty, which I actually think is not a bad idea either. Um, you, you, they, they suggest a two to five year tour and you, you, when you join the company or at some point you say, let's, let's plan out the next two to five years and somewhere in there, whatever the determined time period is, you revisit progress. So it's almost like a project itself, right? Which is not unreasonable. 
and uh, figure out if things are on track. <clears throat> so if I joined a company, I can say I've done this before. Uh, I join a company and they say, what do you want to accomplish here? And you set some goals. And to be honest, Intel tried to do something like this, but it was very old school, I guess I could say. Definitely a one-year plan, maybe a five-year plan. And certainly they have their rule of 75, so they anticipate someone staying for the duration. But in the alliance framework, the rule of 75 suggests that uh, employees of, are either uh, destined to be foundational or they should be transactional and you know uh, move around which uh, I, I will say Intel does encourage. So the rotational, transactional, and foundational tours of duty suggest um, what the goals are. What are, you, what are you as an employee aiming for? What can the employer do to enable that? And how can both sides benefit? So, so far, so good. It sounds fine. Uh, I was a little intrigued in a negative way in the chapter about networking, uh, they put heavy emphasis on employees working their network to garner information. They use the uh, <clears throat> the the PayPal and uh, eBay had a payment solution before they bought PayPal, and I'm spacing on the name. But the anecdote was about how uh, the the PayPal employees would tickle their network of people who were working at the other company, ask them questions and whatnot. And you're basically doing some reconnaissance on behalf of your company. And, you know, the, the, the company wins. You can argue that the employees are engaging. They're growing their networks. I've certainly done that. I've, uh, I've met many new and interesting connections and I maintain them where I can. And, this is as a result of working for companies like Intel or Netscape or Philips. <clears throat> so you're going to you're going to meet people in your travels. That's that's kind of a given. So what they're suggesting is that the company should make use of those, should proactively um, request that their employees recon across their own networks and return the information. It actually spends a bit of time on anonymizing. And for a book that's about the Alliance, it really does, uh, in my opinion, stray a little bit into what I would call mm, maybe, a, maybe a, a gray area, ethically, ethically speaking. So that's where, I, that's where the Alliance notion kind of broke down for me. But the take-home... If you read these two books, you the common theme, and it's something that um, the Mike Walsh presentation, which I took a little bit of a snippet of, alludes to, is that the value of <clears throat> the contributions of the employees is obviously is the take home. That's what you're paying for, and retaining that is ultimately the value proposition for the company, and so. In the holocratic mode, you are providing agency to the employees so that they feel empowered. They feel uh, 
loyal. They feel like they want to stick around. They feel like they're accomplishing, that they're being heard. Arguably, the company can move um, with some efficiency because not everything is going through a bottleneck of a hierarchy through upper levels of management and, and ultimately some top manager. Uh, somewhere in the Holacracy book, they'll point out that it's it becomes impossible for upper-level managers to consume enough information to make the decisions that are passed through them. So empowering, providing agency to people on the ground, so to speak, is a win-win in that model. Mm. And I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, the Alliance proposes that... Um, job satisfaction, uh, moving along on a path that is agreed upon early, the tour of duty, right? Uh, the examples are, are you know, things like, uh, I want to form my own company. Okay, so spend, spend a tour here as a transactional employee and at the end of that time, if, if you have built up your network and your connections and your experience and all that, then as an ally of our company, uh, perhaps you can work with our investor. You know, they, they provide like a path to employee, uh, goal achievement, which is, which is not, a, not unreasonable. That's fine. <clears throat> a foundational, uh, employee on a foundational tour of duty. They give an example like Johnny Ives at Apple. Uh, for a time, I don't know if it's still true, but he was basically cranking out the cutting edge designs that were making the the Steve Jobs Apple the the unstoppable force that is it is right now, <laughs> able to read your cell phone at all times. So the notion of a of an employee employer uh, plan in the hierarchy with a window to evaluate progress is also not unreasonable. So taking that, that snippet of Mike Walsh, the general notion of knowledge workers, of uh, empowerment, agency, uh, satisfaction, and workplace uh, development, worker development, uh, career growth, these are all things that sound good. They sound like they're, uh, you could say, touchy-feely. It makes you say to yourself, well, hmm. And as the alliance points out, I guess the good old days when, when my, my granddad or my grandma, in some cases, uh, remember the good old days. These were not, <clears throat> not the good old days where uh, everybody was working. The old uh, Leave it to Beaver households. So... There was a time when uh, you would go to work at a company and you would have one job for life. Hopefully you'd move up a little bit, but maybe you didn't. Maybe you just stuck around and did the same thing. I remember anecdote time. Uh, I was going for an interview at uh, Supermac, Supermac Technologies. They made uh, graphic cards and some other things for Macintosh computers back in the good old days. This would be mid-90s. I was interviewing, uh, um, I'm sorry, mid-80s, late-80s, early-90s. I was interviewing in the early-90s to mid-90s. So I flew up to San Jose to, 
to interview in that the offices were in Sunnyvale, California at Moffitt, near Moffitt Field in a very, very solid, <laughs> solidly built, thick-walled NSA building, former NSA building. And um, I, I had a relative that lived in, uh, where did he live? Somewhere in Cupertino. He picked me up at the airport. We were cruising around Silicon Valley, showing me around. And he had worked at Lockheed, which is also down the street. Lockheed, classic, old-school employer. He, he worked there for his entire life. So in his view, and his advice to me was to... Uh, you know, make sure you, uh, you know, dress appropriately, coat and tie, whatever. Plan, you know, you should plan on keeping your job forever, that kind of thing. So the, those days are almost certainly gone. Maybe the foundational tour of duty has uh, decades uh, in the plan. But for the most part, <clears throat> there's uh, there's almost no chance that an employee either you or someone joining your company today will stick around for five, 10 years, five, maybe hence the tour of duty being two to five, but will they stick around for beyond that? Will they stick around more than one year? Uh, I will say when I was in Silicon Valley, there were so many opportunities and they do allude to this in the Alliance book. There were so many opportunities that even a hint of incompatibility was weighed against having you know, it was it was definitely a uh, an employee market, right? Answering machine light blinking every day with interviews, headhunters, all that. So the 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 future of work, if we look today, <clears throat> is the future rooted in the present, so to speak. If we look, uh, take all the things I just said. I was just referring to these two books and the general notion of of your your employer, your workplace, and throw in a pandemic working from home. And again, here in part one, we're not even thinking about the uh, the essential workers, the people that had to go to work and were underpaid to do so. <clears throat> that was not an actual throw curve. That was a, for a fact. Yeah, you, you got that, right? So if you, if you were lucky enough to not have to ex- be exposed in a workplace, Good for you. Uh, if you were not, uh, I hope you made it. I hope you were not made sick. But w- the take home now, especially in the lull, and the, <laughs> this is probably a, a moment of truth if there wasn't already one, as the, uh, as the world was returning to normal, as the pandemic was coming to an end, whew, dusting the hands. Uh, is that what the expression is when you're... You know what I'm doing there, right? So the pandemic is over. Pa- people are getting vaccinated. Everything's fine. Here in Las Vegas, everybody was going back to the, the good old days, to the no more masks as of June 1st, no more sti- uh, distancing, no more uh, occupancy caps. It was open season. Go gamble, go party, go to the restaurants and bars. And everything was good, except that our vaccination rate was under 45%. And uh, May May 14th is when the mitigation measures were first relaxed, and 45 days later, being July 1st, the percentage of test case positivity and hospitalizations were 
above the 5% cutoff, and they continue to go up. Uh, as I speak today, Clark County, where Las Vegas is located, is up in the 17% range for test case positivity. Hospitalizations are up. Kids are going back to school now. The, uh, the fallacy of children not being susceptible to, to COVID, well, uh, <laughs> well we're going to test that. <clears throat> so now that it turns out that the, the pandemic is not quite over, all of the companies that were very pro work from home, work from anywhere, sort of started wavering on that. Like, oh, maybe you're going to be coming back to that. I know Apple made the news with, with their policies, kind of kind of rolling back some of their optimism about enabling workers to work from anywhere and all that. And the truth is uh, companies are probably paranoid about security, about... Um, well, just keeping secrets, keeping keeping internal business internal, especially a blizzard. So when you see the new truth, you know, the, the truth uh, during the pandemic, part one was, okay, uh, we can work from home, we can use uh, online tools and phone it in, literally. Everybody can work from home and, you know, for the next however many months and years and uh, we care about you. Then the pandemic started, uh, the numbers started looking better. All those policies were, were getting rolled back a little bit. Like, oh, we didn't mean five days in a row. <laughs> and then <clears throat> you have, uh, like I said, Apple made the news, uh, but uh, many companies did. And now there's a, if that was a flip and a flop, now we're flipped again. The numbers are going back up in most places, certainly here in Las Vegas, we have a mask mandate. We have, uh, no caps on occupancy, but we still have numbers going up and seven days, six days from now, there'll be another County commission meeting. People are complaining about masks because they don't understand, um, the correlation between mitigation measures and numbers. But the take, the take home here is <clears throat> the workplace, uh, doesn't have the leverage over its employees that it would like to because when push comes to shove, when health comes to uh, <clears throat> pandemic, there's, there is some pushback. There is some value proposition uh, breakdown. So what, what to do? So the take home at this point, right before, before the pandemic, the take home was okay. Yeah. So empower your employees with a plan. The Alliance framework seems interesting for a, a more legacy classic employment employer employee relationship with a hierarchy and uh, career goals. And you know, you're recruiting at colleges and you're bringing in entrepreneurial characters, strong personalities, people that are leaders and, and then, you know, a certain percentage of those people are still interested in, in a cubicle or lab work, right? They're, like they're leaders, but they want to accomplish their, their mission and they can do it at your company and everybody wins. And that's great. Uh, the, the holacracy notion is a little bit more foreign, <clears throat> pardon me, in the, in the implementation, it probably, I mean, for, from the people I spoke to about this back in the, back in the day, several years ago, downtown project Zappos, 
there are some problems just because of the structure and the communication requirements that are built into it according to the, the Constitution. So there was some organizational confusion and you know it's it's not a traditional workplace which is the that's the goal so the the future of working in a holacracy would be a little bit more confusing a little bit newer different um but and again um this is not a book report but if you read those two books the they're really stressing the the agency that's given to the employee and then if you look at the pandemic phase where people are learning what's really important, right? And you're seeing this now with employment uh, numbers, weirdness. Uh, there are something like 10 million, 10.1 million, I think, jobs, wherever that, however you get that number, whatever that sum is. 10.1 million jobs and 9.1 million people are looking for jobs or something like that. So there's an, a million extra jobs and yet nobody is looking for the jobs. And so the question then is, are people really, are they going to be satisfied with agency in any of the, whether it's the Alliance Framework or Holacracy or any other role your own? And by the way, one question I would have is, does there have to be one true way? Is there going to be one winner? Or is it really dependent on the personalities and the culture of the company and the, the characters involved? Does it have to be uniform across a company? And so on. So there's a, that's, a, that's a, probably another couple of episodes uh, in the future. So do I, as an employee of a company, now that I'm able to work from home and I have shown whether I already knew it or not, I've certainly shown the employer, the management, that I can perform my, all of my functions from home I would like to do so. It changes the nature of childcare. It changes, especially when schools are closed and they're learning from home. It changes the nature of work-life balance. It changes, well, and not always in a positive way, but because you're always at work and you're always at home. We all know that one if we all work from home already. But do, uh, do I, as a work-from-home employee, now that I've established and uh, perhaps even become... Of, uh, a fan of this notion of working from home or from or from taking the agency, right? Like I now have control of my day, of my work-life balance. I don't have to necessarily work from nine to five. I can spread meetings out at different times and I can be home for the kids and I can, I don't have kids myself, but uh, home for the kids. I can run those errands. I can, uh, I can be around when the food deliveries are coming, if we're doing a touchless delivery, you know, whatever, all the, all the things, all the adaptations that had to be done. If you are lucky enough to be able to do those things and function at or near normal, say, productivity levels, or maybe you spun off your free time and turned it into a podcast, which would be crazy, or uh, maybe you became a YouTube streamer, maybe you have an OnlyFans account now, who knows? So if an employer is now rolling back these accommodations and saying, well, you got to come back to the office and people are saying, well, no, because for all the, uh, the sunshine found in the holacracy, the found at the, um, Alliance and any other, even, even, um, progressive workplaces, which I, you know, I mentioned Google and we all have heard at some point about the 20% 
independent project idea, which you can find people that will argue that that wasn't really completely true, not not 20% in a row. But the fact is that people have been experiencing alternative management styles, structures. Um, I'm personally, I'm a fan of a tiger team structure for small companies. So not quite a holacracy, but more of a, uh, interstitial gremlins <laughs> kind of moving between more rigid structures and trying to figure out how to repair things rather than break them. But anyway, there, there are a host of possibilities and these two books are just two of many, many ideas. And the future of work then could take one or more of these uh, exciting new forms, but for the fact that we have now all been exposed literally to a pandemic and figuratively to the notion that we can maintain our own agency, uh, small a agency, <clears throat> and, and be and act like maybe act like a free agent, an independent. So what I would propose, something to think about, this is not the answer, but certainly something to think about, is that now you form your own agency, capital A, maybe, right? The FFS agency. <laughs> the, the ability to form a legal entity of your own, a company, a corporation, an LLC, uh, LLP, you know, whatever, and to interact with companies, uh, take those um, rotational and transactional tours of duty. Uh, if you've ever worked for a company of any size whatsoever, more than a couple of people, any, anything that's beyond kitchen table startup or maybe garage startup or, you know, so any, anybody who has uh, any sort of momentum, they with few exceptions and the exceptions probably get more attention than not because they are, I think, unusual. Uh, if you, you know, this is, we're going back to the days of, uh, vertical marketplace control, right? Like own the paper and the printing presses and the market. Uh, but most people have realized now that you distribute your production across internal and external uh, service bureaus and contractors and, you know, individual contributors. And, you know, I've, I myself have worked as a contractor through agencies. So I'm, uh, technically an employee that they really don't give a, sh a crap about. If I may say that, uh, yeah, I'm just, a am a, of a revenue stream and, a and a accounts payable account for payroll. Oh, no, I guess I'm a payroll account, not accounts payable. Uh, or I've been an accounts payable account as a 1099 independent contractor. And so I've certainly, as an individual, uh, working for agencies or, or you know, contract agencies, they call them, right? Audia, Manpower, companies like that. Or independently for my own company, really cool technologies, by the way. Or as an individual, Sometimes uh, a company will want to work with an individual contributor, so you know, sole proprietorship type thing, or they'd rather work corp to corp, right? So companies know, especially if they have an accounting department, 
Companies know how to outsource. They know how to outsource domestically and internationally. They know how to pay those bills. They know how to take advantage of that. You're not paying health benefits. You're not paying uh, the FICA, the employee employer FICA contribution. So there's there's all kinds of things that uh, tax dodge will sometimes be applied. But technically, any company can work with any other company. And the the notion that one must become an employee in order to function, in order to gain some acceptable level of income to uh, sustain life in wherever you happen to live. Well, first of all, that changed if people can work from anywhere. So now you can take your salary and go to someplace more uh, lucrative. Uh, a colleague of mine who worked for Apple Education many, 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 many years ago was making a Cupertino salary and living in Houston. And uh, I was very young at the time. <laughs> it was probably 20 years ago. When he, he described that he was paying something like 4% of his salary on a mortgage. And, uh, you know, if you were living in Silicon Valley at the time, that was uh, inco- incomprehensible. How could that possibly, how could, that's, you should be, you should be keeping 2% of your salary. <laughs> so the notion that um, <clears throat> you must become an employee to get your health benefits to, if you're lucky, be able to work from home or adapt your live life work, live work balance uh, to be able to take a day off. I just saw today, you'll, you will see as employment uh, issues continue as the employees leverage more of their power in this marketplace, more benefits being offered, more, more uh, prizes, more carrots being dangled. So um, more vacation, maybe we'll go to a European style vacation and everybody gets like two months off, which is fine. That's I'm, I would be totally okay with that. So what you end up with is uh, the employers no longer have the upper hand. Now, this could change, but when people have, I'm speaking in uh, broad generalities, when people who have been working from home for some part of a year or more are told that they must return to a workplace, to a cubicle, and, and we'll see in part two that this is also true of people returning to a uh, dining room or a kitchen or a, you know, a service industry or a factory, maybe a farm. When you're told you must return and you have a moment to reflect and you have opportunities and no, we're not going to argue about unemployment benefits. Uh, this is part of being humans in a society. So that that's off the table. But so we'll just argue the notion of the work, the the employee employer relationships. So now the question is: Will people return to the workplace? Does the future of work revolve around these new management styles and techniques of providing people agency, of of uh, alliances, of, of foundational tours of duty, of alumni relations, uh, uh, leveraging network, all these things that presuppose um, an employee being a part of an employer ecosystem, can we imagine a world where there are 
far fewer employees where everyone has their own agency, big A or small A or both. And for example, my own, uh, like I said, really cool technologies. Uh, by the way, I really cool.com was the first domain I ever purchased back in 1996. And so it has remained. It's been really cool consulting, really cool technologies, LLC in Nevada and so on. So I, I have my own company. I am my own, <laughs> my own worst boss. But the fact is I could work for anyone who wants to outsource a project and I can work with them. I don't have to ask anyone about taking a day off, about working from home, about work. According to the IRS, they can't even require me, uh, the, the client company can't require me to, uh, to have set work schedules and workplaces and whatnot. So the 20 questions, I think it is. So knowledge workers in particular, if you are a cubicle worker and you've moved your workplace to home and you've taken the appropriate write-offs or you've been reimbursed or however you've, you've sorted that out, if you are in that position, what is the real difference between, I'm not advocating this by the way, I'm just throwing it out there. What's the real difference between you being an employee of your company and you being uh, self-employed providing uh, project, project billing, flat rate billing, however you want to arrange it, but providing services to your former employer on your terms, right? And certainly uh, anyone who has uh, ever done any government contract work for the defense department, <laughs> you know that it is there there are ways there are there are legal instruments there are practices there are procedures there are ethics that can enable uh the securing of project work you know it doesn't have to be that you are all in the same building and therefore the secrets will not escape right that's that's been proven to be not true time and time again so the question is how do you uh, encourage people to be loyal. Well, one thing, you you pay people appropriately, right? Your value proposition has to be such that my stealing information from your project doesn't mean um, that I will come out ahead. It should be, ooh, I'm I'm already making a pretty good amount of I'm being compensated fairly. Let's call it that. And I'm doing work with people that I respect and they respect me and I have all of the agency I want because it's my company that I'm, you know, I'm working for and I'm doing project work for their company. They're paying me on time. They're, we're having productive interactions. Uh, there are more projects coming down the pipe. I have no need to, to uh, put that at risk by you know, espionage by doing too much recon, by working my network. And again, that was, that was the most problematic part of the Alliance book to me, but it's my opinion. So if I'm an outside uh, agency and I'm working, doing work for a company, I can set the terms, I can take a vacation. I'm, uh, there's, there have been anecdotes about people being frustrated with Zoom calls. So if I'm, um, Anyone who's ever hired an attorney, you'll, you'll remember this. <laughs> you'll know what I'm talking about. Or if you are an attorney. If I'm doing project work and I'm billing 
in standard billing, right? So I'm coding some rate, uh, Zoom calls. Maybe it's a, a particular rate per six minute unit, right? And again, it, attorneys will, will charge for uh, four units for a letter. Off the top of my head, it's one of them. Um, phone calls are billed in six minute intervals and so on, right? So if I need to get on the phone, if I need to get into a Zoom call, if I need to spend time in meetings in your company or across with other participating vendors, contractors, then those are um, line items on the invoice, right? There's nothing new about this. There's nothing earth shattering. The thing that people get when they're an employee of a company, in my opinion, you get your health benefits, which is a broken part of uh, the system in America. Your mileage may vary in your country, wherever you are. You get some illusion of job security, which if you read the Alliance, they go into how that's kind of a distant memory at this point, which I, I agree with. Uh, you get some notion of camaraderie or that family idea, which is not really true anymore for any company of any size. So why work for a company? Uh, it often comes down to, let's be honest, <clears throat> uh, instead of me building a company of my own and finding project work and billing, invoicing is always a pain, and tracking billing, I don't have an accounting department, so it's just me, and I don't want to automate my invoicing workflows and my uh, fintech, which by the way, there's there are piles of this stuff being built up now. So those are those excuses are going by the by. So really, it's similar to uh, do I want to have my own website with my own domain name and my own blog, or do I just want to post things on Facebook and be done with it? So I think it's a time, this is my opinion, I think it's a time to reflect on work, worker and workplace interactions, employer and employee interactions, and what the structure of the, <clears throat> the economy and the marketplace of knowledge workers is really like. Uh, I mentioned the lawyer arrangements. You can certainly work at a law firm and you can be an associate or you can be a partner and you have different billing structures and you have uh, clients that expect certain things when they're billed and they have certain um, terms that they've agreed to the same can be true with an employer employee uh, i've certainly worked on those terms for different employers clients my client companies uh, certainly non-disclosure agreements and other confidentiality agreements can be used with severe penalties. I will tell you myself, I was a part of a reality show in my Intel days. It was called America's Greatest Makers. And the production company was um, Mark Burnett's. Um, I don't know if it was Mark Burnett Productions or something. So Mark Burnett, Mark Burnett was the executive producer. And uh, I don't know if Intel was the co-executive or anyway, it was it Mark Burnett plus Intel. And everyone... No, so we, we were bound as employees to maintain confidentiality as an Intel project, right? So we have, we have our existing confidentiality agreements. We have an additional agreement with the Mark Burnett production company. Any sharing of anything about the show before it was aired was, uh, 
was not going to be pleasant for anybody, right? Huge financial implications, um, and so on, right? So these are these things are certainly possible. And then you come down to well, who really needs to be the employees of a company? the The part of the alliance that was interesting to me was the the foundation uh, tour of duty, the foundational employee relationship. <clears throat> yeah, if you're if you're one of the founders, if you're one of the people who uh, who are the company, I, the way they said it was, uh, if the mission of the employee and the company become one and the same, they're probably a foundational employee. Um, so really, the question is, uh, if the company is made up of foundational um, employees or executives, however, you, however the the makeup of the company itself is is uh, arranged do do you really require your accounting department your sales department do you, do you require uh armies of people headcount to use the uh, vernacular do you need to have all of these people on your staff for for years and all that that entails from commercial real estate to communications to insurance to all the other liabilities on the company side and all that. Do you really need that? Or can a tremendous chunk of all that stuff be outsourced to uh, independent agencies, which specifically provide agency, right? So small or big A, whichever you want at this point, provide the agencies to people, agency to people, like myself, for example, I can now work for any number of companies or none, take the time that I need, take, uh, take care of my own, uh, uh, work from home requirements as they, uh, you know, work life balance, take care of any kids or parents or anything. So controlling your, your, uh, personal day-to-day -day life while still contributing to the success of this company in a in a much more equal relationship. Is that the future of work? Have I taken the very long road to, to reach a point where we can simply ask, is the future of work working for yourself? And when you work for yourself, you take projects from clients, client entities, whether they are other people or companies or subscribers or patrons Right? Are you merely um, taking your revenue stream in ways that are more diverse, that are less predictable, but come with fewer strings? The strings that are attached are the strings that you control as a free agent. Right? If you are a, a YouTube creator, you're beholden to YouTube, certainly, which is uh, that's a whole other topic for another day. But if you are creating content that people want to consume and they want to compensate you for your efforts, do you need to work for a company other than your own? And if you then take that and say, well, I have my skill set is in uh, um, advertising, in, in um, the networking that they mentioned in, uh, in the Alliance book, if one of my strengths is, is connecting people, I, I have been called a super connector before in my travels. Do I want to hand that over to an employer 
and make part of my job responsibility performing that networking function. Uh, some of these things are similar or not dissimilar to like f being friends with people. <laughs> so being friends with people suddenly becomes a job responsibility in that scenario, which I, again, I found to be slightly troubling. That was the, that was the most troubling part of the, the Alliance book. So take that for what it's worth. Anyway, so the future of work, part one, concerning knowledge workers, with attention and focus being paid to uh, empowering, providing agency, uh, workplace uh, satisfaction to a increasingly competitive work um, marketplace, uh, what wrench has been thrown into that by pandemics and working from home and working from anywhere and the possibilities that those holocratic circles could be filled with people who are not your employees, but are instead external contractors, external NDA'd uh, partners, uh, outsource agencies, either local, international, maybe on Mars at some point. Uh, I have to be honest, I think, I think there will be a sway towards that in this particular field. Now, can... Uh, can an attorney do that? Sure. Hang up your own shingle. Uh, there are certainly risks with that. Partnerships will still exist, but you're still sort of an external. The, I'm not completely familiar, but from what I understand, you, you know, there's still a, the billing of your cases and, and relationships with clients is not unlike what I've been talking about here. And then you work with the partnership and they get some component, whatever the bill rate is. And you have all the protections associated with that. And so legal protections are probably a big issue for some, depending on your actual line of work. Uh, but certainly if you extend that to marketing or sales or accounting or even software and hardware development, right? Even technology. If you, maybe the core technology developments need to be internal. Can they be done externally? Sure. Have people created technology companies that are, uh, they call them like fabulous chip companies? Sure. These are, these are all things that are possible. So traditional, if I have to, if I have to provide my, my 10,000 foot level, uh, the holacracy and the alliance models are presupposing that we must keep uh, employees in the tent, in the, well, if, in the circle. I guess, right? If you want to do the uh, meet the Fockers reference, right? You want to keep your uh, keep your team on this side of the field all together, bunched up, and the work from home, work from anywhere notion complicates that. And as more and more people understand that it is completely and totally possible, maybe not easy, but possible to enter into a relationship where the same work gets done, but the paycheck, the invoice, the payroll versus the accounts payable, the, uh, the way insurance benefits work, the way vacation time is, is uh, allocated versus bill, you know, all of these things. It's just a, a different way of doing the numbers, so to speak. But I personally think uh, if we were to break this down to what works and what doesn't, I think people work, people want to work, but what doesn't is trying to make a one-size-fits-all or even a 
a, maybe not universal, but a, uh, a grand scheme that makes it appear that we're all in this together. But if I can be a little bit uh, cynical, <laughs> the employers, much like the house in Vegas, usually has an advantage. And they're trying to make it sound like you're getting a little extra when you work with them. And I think the thing that does not work today is uh, having people depend on their employer for vacation, for uh, wellness, for uh, certainly for uh, health insurance, insurance in general. So benefits and uh, if you count vacation as benefits, then fine. But uh, job security, when you hand over, much like handing all of your stuff over to Facebook, I'm not a fan of Facebook if you haven't picked up on that. Uh, if you, when you hand over your brand, your personal happiness, your finances, your uh, health insurance, when you hand that over to an employer, you are beholden to them. And whatever the tour of duty is, or whatever the holacracy circles are, or whatever other old or new school way of thinking that goes into your employer-employee relationship, whatever those are, at the end of the day, if you are not empowered yourself, by yourself, in your, say, company, you are still working for someone else. And that, for part one, will continue to be an issue that will weigh heavily as this pandemic enters round two. I think I'll leave it there. Thank you for listening. This has been the FFS Talk podcast. <clears throat> you can hear my voice is totally fading. Uh, the smoke ozone lay, uh, levels in the Las Vegas area have been a little bit high. Has not done anything for my voice. If you would like to support this, yeah, I'm working for myself now. <laughs> if you want to support the FFS Talk podcast, you should be a guest. You can come on here and talk about all of these, uh, this topic and all the other topics, all these topic arcs. Come on down, be a guest. Send an email to join at ffstalk.com, as in join the podcast for an episode, be a guest. And if you would like to support the show in other ways, you can certainly subscribe to the newsletter. You can subscribe to the podcast feed. You can share links with friends and all those other nice things. There's a profile page on buymeacoffee.com on which I place links to newsletters and podcasts and projects because me, Dan Hugo, uh, I have my company, Really Cool Technologies. And so the things that I work on fall under that umbrella and I promote me and my work as part of that work on the Buy Me A Coffee site since it's an out-of-band uh, it's not connected to my reallycool.com or other websites, projects. So it's out there on its own. And it's also conveniently located next to a tip jar, which you are absolutely not obligated to uh, fill in any way. Though you can if you like. Money's proceeds go to coffee from the Buy Me A Coffee website. It's, it's ironic, I know www.buymeacoffee.com slash Dan Hugo. And I will leave it there. Part one, the future of work, or really just work. And part two will be next week. We'll talk about service industry and skilled labor, people on the ground, 
doing the real work. We'll see what we can talk about there. Thank you for listening. Stay safe.